a lot of that is understanding the motivations and then explaining to them what we can do to help the situation. So what is it that we provide? What is there in our service that we provide? You're listening to The Right Club Podcast, where the focus is all about helping you grow your real estate investment portfolio and live the life you want to live. Come grow with us and join our community at therightclub.com. And now your hosts, Sarah Larby and Alfonso Salemi. Welcome back, Right Club Nation, to another episode of our Right Club podcast. And today I have Laurel Simmons, my co-host. How are you, Laurel? I'm great, Sarah. And how are you today? Very good. What's new in your world? Oh, right now, as we're doing this, it's the summer. So I just enjoy the summer so much. It's that time where I live where the peaches and all the soft fruit are out. And it's it's canning time and, and jam time. And it's just just even going out to some of the local farms and looking at what's going on. It's so much fun. It's just like, this is why, this is why I love summer in this area. Cause there's just a, a wealth of stuff to do and see and taste and eat and all the rest of it. But what about you? Yeah, no, absolutely. And actually just recently we, uh, we went to your house and we had a little right club get together just for the, uh, the people that work here and you did an awesome wine tasting. You went to a winery. It was really cool. I, uh, I, I love wine even more after that. <laughs> you know, what's new with me? Hmm. You know, I had this, uh, this six plus under contract. And then we did the inspection and uh, unfortunately I wasn't able to negotiate the price down. We had to let it go because there were some foundation issues that would have cost us upwards of a hundred grand to just fix. So, but I I am looking for something more, you know, a little bit bigger multifamily at this point in time. I think the burr is great, but I might as well burr something bigger. And so, you know, we're gonna get some properties under contract. Some of them hopefully will work out. This one, in this case, we just weren't able to bring the price down far enough after the inspection to, to make it work. So sellers didn't want to budge on it. And we said, okay, well, you know, unfortunately that's uh, that is what it is, but on to the next. <laughs> and yeah, there's always another, there's always another deal, right? There's always another property. We have one, a rent to own where the, um, the tenants are moving out and, and, and kind of a complicated story, but it's going to work out for everybody. We're going to keep the property. Uh, we're going to do some renovation and, uh, we're going to rent it and the rents in that area are really, really good. And we're turning it into a, uh, from a three bedroom into a four bedroom. And it's a beautiful, beautiful property. We're going to have no trouble. The vacancy rate in that area is like 0.000001 or something. It's stupid. It's just those. So it's, it's really good. That is awesome. You know, it is really cool. And, um, and we've got, you know, depending on when this is going to air, we've got a really awesome full day event called real people doing real shit that we're putting together and we're going to be showcasing some really awesome speakers panels of people that are really out there doing it and that's and that's the important piece right is like we're talking to you and and yes we are the co-hosts but like it's just as important for us to be active in the market as well because you can't be somebody that's done something 10 15 years ago and still act like you you know what's going on because the markets are always changing things are always changing all the time and and that's going to be the theme of our November 2nd event is real people going out there actively buying actively negotiating actively doing whatever they are doing for their strategy and being able to help our right club nation to see exactly what they're doing in details and uh, and specific st- steps so I'm super excited about that Yeah, me too. It's going to be a fun day and lots of learning and lots of networking. And yeah, we're so excited here about putting that together. All of the ideas are flying. So 
if it's November the 2nd and you hear this before November 2nd, <laughs> look for it. Come on out and join us. It's really going to be fun. Absolutely. And you know what the other thing that we're up to, guys, is uh, that whole online community. Because some of you are not in Burlington. Some of you are much further away. And uh, we want to give back to you too. And so we are and have launched an online community where you can ask questions, get answers in the forum, have access to the content from our events, have access as well to private deals, joint venture partners, money partners. Like this is going to be to me, like this is the most exciting thing we've got going on that um, I just, I could see how many people in Canada are going to be able to help throughout the whole country. Yeah, it's because uh, we really do want to reach out because we know that there's so many people around who want more information and more contacts and we all get better and we all learn and we all gain as we share more and more information. That's really our underlying philosophy for everything. It's like we share, we grow together, you know, come grow with us. And the more we do that, the more there is, the more abundance, the more wealth there is for everyone, no matter how you define that. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, go check out the website and, uh, and sign up. You can create your profile. It doesn't cost anything and uh, you still have access to lots of great things. There's going to be a different membership as well, but you still have access to lots of things at absolutely no cost. And so just get out there, get on the forums and meet other like-minded investors. And, uh, and you know what? Why don't we introduce Luke? So we just finished a podcast with Luc Boiron, who is a very, very successful wholesaler, started out as a flipper and essentially a landlord that he bought something, a rooming house, became a flipper. And then now he's doing like 100 deals a year wholesaling and he's just built a whole team and he's, you know, he's just out there getting deals under contract, off market. And, uh, and, and these are really good deals. So like guys, if you're thinking, Hey, there's no more deals out there for me, I'm going to wait till the next crash. Well, I'll get on Luke's buyers list because I am seeing things coming from him that are really awesome every single week. Yeah. It's a really amazing interview. He's got so much information, so much to share. Absolutely. And guys, Luke, Luke is like 30 years old. Like I don't even know if he's 30 yet. So he's, uh, he's built it in just a few short years and just really developing the systems. I mean, obviously it's hard work, it's persistence, but we think of Canada and we think of the US and a few years ago, I was like, well, how do you wholesale in Canada? How does someone really become successful wholesaling in Canada? And he really defied those odds. He figured out what they were doing in the US and he figured out what could work and what could not work in Canada and really developed those systems. And now he's just out there, he's killing it and he's getting us amazing deals as investors because you can't rely on the MLS for everything. You can't rely on your realtor for everything. Sorry, realtors. But at the end of the day, you've got to look out for yourself, right? You've got to make it win-win, of course, but you got to look out for yourself. And if you're not finding anything on off or on MLS, like there's other, there's other avenues. And if you are not going to do all the door knocking and all the marketing and all of the prospecting, well, that's why Luke is there and being successful and doing it and providing those deals to all of us. So get on his list. All right, guys. So, Laurel, what do you say? Let's uh, let's bring Luke into the interview and let's uh, hear all about his story. Yeah, let's do it. Welcome, Luke Boiron, to the show. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Sarah. 
We are super excited to having you on and you've been a member of our club for months and months and months. You've spoken on our stage as well. And today, Laurel and I really want to understand how you started your business, how you grew to what you are doing today, which is really impressive and uh, ask you some questions about flipping and wholesaling and starting your business because you've got employees today. And that is really impressive on uh, just to, to see how quickly you've grown. So super excited and you ready for the questions? Absolutely. All right. All right. So first question, Luke, how did you get started? Just, you know, maybe a 30,000 foot view, how you got started in real estate investing and what you got started with? So I guess I have a little a longer background with real estate investing because I grew up in a real estate family. My dad was a commercial real estate and grew up in that family. Always wanted to buy a rental. I remember reading Don Campbell's book about the acre system when I was 14 and I really wanted to buy a hundred cash flowing houses. Not as easy nowadays, but I tried buying houses when I was young and I ended up buying my first rental when I was 18. It was an interesting property. I turned it into a 10 bedroom rooming house at Jane and Finch and from there, I held that property four years, sold that, bought another rental, then bought another rental with a friend and kind of started growing from there. And all through that time, I was in, in law school. I was in my undergrad in law school, did my MBA. And then when I finished all of that, I went into real estate full time and I started flipping houses. Awesome. That's great. So you started flipping houses and just to give the listeners a little bit of an idea, how many houses a year are you flipping right now? And what does the portfolio consist of roughly? So I mostly have moved on to flipping contracts for houses called wholesaling. I think this year, I hope we'll hit a hundred this year. We're currently buying two to three houses a week and portfolio wise, my wife and I have four Airbnb cottages, two are still under renovations and we have a couple student rentals and a couple long-term rentals as well. So maybe 10, 10, 11 units of long-term. Amazing. So when you were, especially when you're getting started, Luke, like I'm sure people are interested. I'm interested. What did you find was the most difficult? Like, was it finding financing? Was it finding the properties? Was like, what did you, what did you have the most difficulty with? All of it is difficult. I think what I found was the most difficult part to do well was to buy houses at enough of a discount to make a profit. And I also figured if you could do that, the other problems could be solved. So I couldn't qualify for loans because I was starting, I was self-employed, now full-time flipping houses. But if I got a big enough discount, I could afford to pay the private mortgages at the higher rates and all of that. So I think the difficulty was finding good deals, but it was also the solution to all of the other difficulties that I would have had. Like contractors costing too much. If I buy it at a bigger discount, I can afford to pay the contractors. So there are many ways to flip houses and make money in it. The way I found that worked for me was by saving money on the buy. For other people, they might save money by doing renovations themselves or having great contacts with renovations and friends in the business, or they might have cash so they're not paying expensive financing, or they might be a realtor and they sell the properties themselves and they save a bit on that. Or even they, if they're buying them, they get the commission back from the listing agent if they're buying on the MLS. So different people have different ways to make it work. But for me, all of the other difficulties I had could be solved by buying cheap enough. And that was also the hardest part for me. I can see that, but finding the property, like especially when you were starting out, how many properties would you have to look at before you found one A that you'd make an offer on? And then there's, it's not just, you know, figuring out which one you want and, and making the offer is how many are accepted, right? So it's like a funnel, right? Absolutely. 
I, starting out, I was buying off the MLS, but I wasn't just buying anything on the MLS. I really had to try to find opportunities. So at different points uh, early on, I was putting out dozens and dozens of offers and getting nothing. And at other points, it was really targeted offers with a little bit better success rate, maybe buying one in 10. A, a lot of the time too, I would, if there were good pitchers, I could get a good idea of what I need to do just off the pitchers, especially if there was a way of buying it conditionally. But most of the time on the MLS, you have to buy firm. So I was going to see them putting in the offer right away. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, when it was a more targeted thing, I probably would buy, put 10 offers in in a very targeted way. But other times I put in hundreds to get maybe one property. And so now you're buying 100 properties a year. So you've definitely changed something in your business and you're able to get a lot of opportunities off market. And I, I do want to say that when you, you listen to a lot of the wholesaling podcasts or po you, you know, US podcasts on wholesaling, it seems like it's a different ball game out there just because of the fact that they have access to more visibility on what's going on. And so there's not as many in Canada and you're probably the most successful wholesaler that I know. If I think wholesaling, I actually think of you. How did you get to where you are today? Like what are some of the steps that you took from when you were saying, I'm going to start wholesaling to today when you're saying, well, you know, I am making a complete living off this whole strategy. Yeah. So first of all, I would say that I kind of got into flipping into wholesaling because I was flipping. So I, I would have too many renos going on at the same time. There was a point when I had seven renos happening at the same time, banging my head against the wall, trying to get contractors out and checking up on them and materials and all of that. And I got an amazing lead from a seller directly who wanted to sell. And I almost didn't go see the house because I was too busy. I ended up going to see it and I did my first wholesale deal and it was, I made a very large assignment fee and I was kicking myself almost because of how easily I could have missed out on that. And so I did a few more assignments to kind of free up. And I started, when I got out of the flips I was doing, I started picking up more flips again. I got busy again. And I realized I'm not necessarily the best at managing contractors. I do an okay job of it, but other people can do it better. But what I can do very well is get good deals. And so what I did, I guess, to get that, to become the wholesaler was I needed to find good deals as a flipper, as I was saying earlier, to solve the other problems I had. So that was the difficulty and that took me years to figure out. Um, and really what it came down to was trying to figure out people who are in a situation where they don't want to sell privately, how can you find them? That's really what my marketing has come down to. A lot of people who, who are used to selling through agents don't understand why someone would sell privately. They know our sellers who sell privately know they're getting less money than they would on the MLS. A lot of the times they're hoarders or, they've let their property deteriorate really badly and they're embarrassed of letting people into the house to see what it's like. So you have to realize these type of people exist. People who are going through a divorce, for example, one of the properties we bought separated, boyfriend and girlfriend separated, but they were both on title. Girlfriend had a new boyfriend. She really wanted to get rid of the house because that was her last tie to her ex-boyfriend. She's really motivated to sell quickly. You have estate situations. The parents have left off or passed away. All of their stuff is in the house. They have a lot to deal with. So now you're reaching out to people who don't want to have to deal with all of their parents' stuff, sell the house. They might live far away. So it really comes down to thinking about, I think of it as my customer avatar. Who is going, like I try to imagine who is the seller going to be. I imagine they're likely going to be 40 plus because I very rarely have, you know, 25 year olds trying to sell me their house. So I, I think of my customer avatar and I try to understand where I can find these people to let them know that I provide the service. 
Hey, Right Club Nation. This week's sponsor is Emil Jelnik. Emil is a mortgage broker that has personally helped me grow my real estate portfolio and rent-to-owned business for years now. The really cool thing is that he started out like most of us, with no property and no money. Over his investing career, he was able to accumulate over 200 units. The beauty is that with Emil, you not only get the mortgage you need, but you get investing advice from someone there that has been there and done it and has the experience. Absolutely. Now, if you're just getting started or perhaps you already have many properties or even if you want to get into commercial investing, Emil can help you. And he's already helped many of our Right Club Nation listeners. He's very focused on helping you and our listeners meet their financial dreams. So if you wanted to reach out and call Emil, you can call him at 416-402-7448 or visit his website, which is jellyneckmortgages.ca. If you want to get to know more about Emil, you can check out his episode of our podcast, episode number 21, and get to know Emil a little bit better yourself. But for now, back to the podcast. So how do you do that? So is it through spending money on marketing? Is it through hiring people? I mean, how do you go from doing that once when you had a flip that seven flips going on at once and you needed to wholesale a couple because you couldn't continue with uh, with all the renos to this many at this point? You're saying you're doing a hundred of these a year. Yeah. So like, how are you doing that? So for one, my team has grown a lot. The way I have it set up is... We do a lot of outbound marketing to sellers and they then contact us. It's kind of like a funnel. So I have people who, who take calls from sellers and take, get emails from sellers and they weed out motivation. So we filter through a lot of sellers, like you said, big fun. We filter through a lot of sellers who are potentially interested in selling, but other ones who are curious to see if they can get their MLS listed house sold directly to us. And then once motivation set and, and the price is right, we then set appointments for our acquisition reps. So we have one in the GTA and one in Ottawa, and they go out to see the houses and make offers. And, um, and then if they can get the property under contract, it then passes to our dispositions person to try to assign the contract to one of our buyers. Um, mixed in the process, we have sales manager who was an instrumental hire in my business. We have my assistant and we have a full-time marketing person as well as uh, co-op student and we just hired someone else to kind of be a floater to help on new projects that we're trying to take on on the marketing side we do we do a bit of everything because everything can work but there's very few individual well there's there's no individual marketing sources that can get us enough leads for the volume that we want to do because you were talking about the kinds of people who you approach to or want to contact as you say they're not 25 year olds they're people that maybe have issues challenges they're older or they're dealing with estates and all the rest of it. So that's, that's a broad spectrum of society. And I can see it would be very, very difficult. I mean, you can't just do a Facebook post, right? That's just not going to work. So does your team go out and meet people? Or, I, I mean, we see you at the right club all the time, but what do you do? Like how much of your time do you spend or does your team spend on this? And what, what kind of things do they do? Certain marketing channels are more, uh, more just money and certain ones are more time. Um, so some, a few, like, for example, I'll give you an example of some of the many things we do. We post Kijiji ads regularly. We have Facebook ads going, Google ads, we have Bing ads. 
We reach out to realtors and let them know if they have a really problem property before it's listed, give us a chance to make an offer. We, Sarah touched on the lists that you can buy in the US. You can literally buy lists of motivated people, but even in the US, because of the competition, a lot of the people's best lists right now is what's called the driving for dollars list, which basically means you drive around and you look at really rundown houses with terrible roofs and overgrown lawns and things like that. You make your own list and then you do a very, like a deeper targeted campaign at that where you might send them a letter, knock on their door, try to find their phone number on 411, give them a call. So you go really deep on a list. So you might build a list of 500,000 people or more, and then you go really deep and try to find the owners of those properties and say, would you like to sell privately? Because some of those people, they're not gonna have the money to fix up the property. The roof's leaking into the kitchen, the drywall's falling down, and they don't know what to do. And you give them an out, you give them an opportunity to, to get out of the house and to move on. And usually they have enough equity that they're walking away with a good amount of money to to hopefully find a better place and, and live comfortably so and even when i was talking about the customer avatar or the situation people are in if you can find ins with divorce lawyers with estate lawyers with funeral homes with retirement homes for a service where if someone needs to move in because sometimes people move into retirement homes very quickly when an accident happens it happened to my grandmother in france she fell down the stairs hit her head and it was basically decided that she couldn't keep living alone. She had to move into the retirement home. So that was a pretty quick transition. And now she lives in France. And I think her house was listed on their equivalent of the MLS and sold to a flipper. But you could position yourself as, hey, if someone comes, their home's you know, run down and older and they haven't been able to maintain it because they're in their 90s, give me a call. Let me make an offer and buy that house if they're interested and it'll be easiest transaction for them. So you can put yourself in all of these positions if you understand who you're trying to buy from Try to think, where can you find these people and who can maybe help you find them? Some great tips and some great insights for sure. Now, just on an average month, for example, like how many properties do you go and see? I look at this as a sales funnel, right? So how many properties do you go and see? Or how many people reach out to you? How many do you go and see? How many do you actually get under contract? And then how many of them actually sell? Because I, I get your emails all the time. Like you are very, very active in the wholesaling world. You get some really amazing deals. Usually they need a little bit of work. But walk us through like, what do those numbers look like as a sales funnel? Um, so it really depends on our marketing channel. Certain marketing gets very high, like quality of leads. Other ones get much more volume, but low, much more volume, but low quality. So you have to filter through a lot. So we probably buy about one in a hundred houses that contact us, one in a hundred people. So it's, it's a massive number of people that we have to filter through. We're probably buying about one in every three or four houses we go to see right now. And that number varies depending on how far we go with qualifying the leads. Like we're really busy or something. We might really increase the, the level of motivation and the reasonableness that the seller needs to have on their price before we send someone out to go see it, especially in the GTA because traffic's terrible. So when you're trying to go see houses, but you know, recently we've been a little, our appointments are a little like slower. And so we want to set more appointments. So we will be willing to consider going out sooner for people with less motivation. So it varies a bit, but I'd say we're probably buying one in every three or four that we see because we vet them so far ahead of time. So how do you negotiate once you're there in the property? Like if somebody says, you know what, I, this is what I want for my house. Like how do you negotiate them to the price that you need it to be so that you can wholesale it to somebody that still has enough, you know, you still want to leave enough meat on the bone for somebody to still make a profit. Absolutely. So a lot of that is understanding the motivations and then explaining to them what we can do to help the situation. So what is it that we provide? What is there in our service that we provide? I'll give you an example of one that this was not, a, we didn't wholesale this. We're doing what's called a wholetail, 
where we're going to close on the property or we did close on it. And then we're going to relist it on the MLS after cleaning it out. In this case, it was in Ottawa. The sellers called us. They didn't want us to see the inside of the house, but it's probably worth more for the lot anyways, because two houses can be built on it and it's in a hot area of Ottawa. So they didn't want us to see the inside of the house at all. And they hadn't paid, I believe, $100,000 in property taxes. So they were a week away from losing the house and we bought it in three days. So we closed on it in three days and then we allowed them to live there for another month for free while they found another place. So we just on Friday just got possession of that place and turns out they didn't have running water for five years. There was a bathroom in a back addition. It fell off. The plumbing was damaged and they just shut off the water for five years. They didn't have running water in the house and they were hoarders. So really, really rough situation for the sellers. And I think they're in a much better position now that they're, they're going out and they've, they found somewhere else to live and they have running water. The seller is, is getting over his depression and it sounds like hopefully he'll have a better grasp on his hoarding. So, but that was, that was something we could offer the sellers. It was, we don't want you to see the inside of the house. We want you to buy it. Oh, and you have to buy it in the next few days or we lose it. And we want to live here longer so that we can find somewhere to go. You know, that's not an easy offer for a lot of people, but the price reflected the fact that we couldn't see the inside and we assumed the worst, which it pretty much is. We assumed we had to buy it for a lot of value and that's what we, we've done. And yeah, so just giving them an explanation of what we can do, what we offer to them, why they want to sell to us, and then explain to them we're business, we need to make money. We don't, you know, we wouldn't be able to help other people out of situations like this. If we took a loss in every house we did, we'd never be able to do it again. And this is where we need to be for the price to work for us. And for certain sellers, it, it works. Many of the people who call us, we tell them to list on the MLS. There's no reason for them to sell to us. There's no particular motivation. There's no need for time. They just want it to be a little bit easier. And, but there's nothing special. So we tell them, go list on the MLS. If it doesn't work out, if you, if you really need to sell quickly or something, call us back. But it's not, um, we're not going to be your best option. So where we are the best option, people, we tell them that, that we believe that. And we give them the price that works for us. And hopefully it works for them too. Sounds like you have to be uh, partly a psychologist because you're really dealing with serious issues when it comes to, like you were talking about the hoarding and depression. When people get into those situations, like I know what we do with rent to own, there's always... It's always an underlying issue, right? It's it's about illness. It can be about physical, emotional, whatever it is. It can be divorce situation. It can be, I know a, a family where the child was so ill and there was no insurance and it, it, it can be really, really serious stuff. And you, you've got to treat with respect, I guess. That's I get probably the key, isn't it? Treating people with respect when you go into a situation like that. Because what you're doing is not easy. No, and we try not to be judgmental because imagine a lot of these people who live in that kind of situation, they're embarrassed. And I might be making it sound like that's always the case, that this is the majority of what we deal with. It's, it's not the majority. There's lots of different, you know, someone getting a divorce, they might just not be maintaining the house, but it's not going to be a hoarder situation. So, but yes, there's absolutely a lot of, a lot of difficulty for the people. And we, it helps a lot for them to not have to feel like they're being judged. They're being criticized. One of the houses we bought, the layout wasn't great. But the house was a solid house and they had raised their children there. They had lived there 20 years and someone else had gone to see the house before me. And the seller was telling me how they tore into it, how the layout was terrible and how they were going to have to open up these walls and it was going to cost so much money and they were going to have to do everything because the house was so terrible. And I said to her, look, I mean, the buyers on the MLS, they're going to want a completely renovated house like new on the inside, but you have a wonderful home. You've clearly taken good care of it. It's just 
a bit dated and we can update it and make it modern and new like on HGTV, what, what everyone wants. But you have a great house. You've clearly raised your family here. It's served you well. And we can make it work for a young couple who wants, or a young family who wants to move into this area. And I think that that goes a long way. Again, you're saying psychology. Most of the time we compliment people's houses. A lot of our, the people we buy from live there. There's only occasionally when maybe a landlord just had a tenant trash their house and they're like, oh my God, it's so terrible. Go, yeah, oh my God, I can't believe they did so much damage and it's so bad. So you have to understand the person you're talking to because if someone's house has been damaged and they want to blame the tenant, then you tell them, yeah, it's terrible. It's been damaged so badly. If someone's lived in that house, has emotional attachment to it, you don't want to start, you know, that same house, she had taken pretty good care of it, but there was some puddles of dog pee on the floor <laughs> while I was walking around, my sock got wet and stuff. I can't insult the seller and tell them, oh my God, I can't believe your dog peed on the floor by accident. They, they generally kept pretty good care of the house. And she much more appreciated her being complimented, the house that she raised her children on, being told is a good house because she did enjoy it for 20 years. So understanding you helps a lot. And that is a great point. I mean, I, I feel like people, it's rapport building, right? And it's in a way it's sales one-on-one. You're going to get you know, you got to give in your deposits and you've got to get somebody to like you and trust you. Yeah. And you're not going to do that by bashing their, their place. You're going to do that by letting them know that what they've done is, is good. And here's what you want to do to even make it better. And so I think you have a great, great strategy. Now, can you give us some numbers of what you look for? So, you know, for example, if something's on MLS for X amount, like do you look for a certain percentage underneath that price? Like how do you analyze these properties for reasons? It it varies quite a bit. It's not, it's not an easy answer. We do have a spreadsheet we use for flipping or flipping calculator that we can put in the numbers of what we expect to sell it for and what renovation costs there are going to be. So there we'll look at the active repair value, the ARV in the neighborhood and go, okay, so this house would sell for 500,000 when it's done. There's going to be $50,000 of renovations. And then the calculator takes into account land transfer tax, private financing, realtor commissions, carrying costs, insurance, et cetera. So, and then we look for a minimum of 10% of the purchase price in profit. So if we're buying a house for 350,000, we better be making at least 35,000. That's how we run it on flips. However, depending on the desirability of the property or lack of desirability, we might be buying it for different reasons. So if we don't think we have buyers in that area, we might be buying it because we don't want to renovate a lot now. We buy it at what we call the wholesale price. So this is the price where what's the as is value. We can buy it, close on it, spend $5,000 or $2,000 cleaning it out and cleaning up and list it on the MLS to get full retail price. So that's our kind of wholesale, the wholesale price. And again, we still wanna make that 10% of the purchase price and profit with a minimum of $25,000 to take into account the risk and not knowing for sure what it's gonna sell for. And then on the other side, we might be able to go to a higher amount of the value in a really desirable area. So I know there's a lot of people who want to buy a duplex conversion projects on the Hamilton Mountain, it's very common. So if I could find one of those, I can close value because I know I'll have buyers who are willing to pay closer to market value because they're very hard to find at any of discounts. So instead of it needing to be a, a 30% discount because it's way out in the boonies, it might need to be a 10% discount, 5% discount, and someone might be willing to pay that. We value properties differently depending on the purpose and who's going to be buying it from us. Okay. Now, do you close on them? Like, How do you put them under contract and assign them? I'm guessing there's an assignment clause, but I'll let you answer that. How does that all work out? Yes. So the majority of when we do wholesaling, we pretty much always do assignments. 
basically we put it under contract and then we assign the contract to another investor for a fee. We make our markup there. And then they close on it directly with the original seller, their lawyer with the seller's lawyer, and then they pass uh, an assign their lawyer passes an assignment fee to my lawyer. And so how does that work? So let's just say you have this property, you email it out to your list because I see a lot of those and an investor is interested. What is the process? Like, are they able to then go and see the property? Do they have to put in an offer? Do they have, you know, like, cause you don't want everybody coming to see them and, and bothering the sellers either. So how does that work? Exactly. So because we do try to provide an ease to our sellers, we try not to have a lot of people walking through the house. So we really make sure people are strongly interested before we agree to, to an appointment. And most of the time we set one group showing for everyone who wants to see it. And we, we try not to have more than, you know, like three or four groups of people, like three or four interested parties. If we have more than that, we'll, we'll start vetting it down by interest and making sure people are, are motivated to be buying. Because if we have eight groups of people walking through, 10 groups of people, it just confuses our sellers and, and uh, can frustrate them. So it, typically in our emails, we say, you know, asking $300,000 or best offer. It might, let's say we think it's worth 350. We don't always know what kind of interest we're going to get depending on the area. You know, if it's in Brantford or if it's in Kincardine, we're going to have a much different interest. So we send it out saying, you know, it's $300,000. We think as is it's $350,000. Someone might be interested in it uh, to reno or uh, to reno and flip or to rent out. And then people express interest to us. They call Casey, who's uh, our closing coordinator. And she'll tell them, you know, we have an appointment Thursday at 2 p.m. to see the house. Can you make it at that time? And make sure that they've seen the photos, that they've looked at comparables, that they understand the value of the property and that they're interested in. It. And so people might, let's say we get people interested, they come out on the Thursday and let's say we have next to no interest and we've got it under contract for 280. Someone offers us 290. Okay, we'll take the 290. Even if we have it at 280, if there's a, we have four people going and they're all strongly interested, maybe someone's going to offer three. 310. And so we'll make a $30,000 assignment fee instead of 10,000. So it really depends on how much interest we have and what people are willing to pay for the property. That's really interesting. So how many of them did you have to release? Like out of, you know, I don't know, you said you have about a hundred that you're doing. Give me an example of like on a given month, how many you've got that you're emailing and then how many of them end up with a buyer that you're assigning to? I would say of the ones we're emailing, we're probably selling about 80% of them. I'd say that the other 20% there's a few different reasons. We had one recently that the sellers, it, it was a kind of a borderline deal that we thought people would be interested in. We hadn't gotten a lot of interest. And then the seller called us back basically saying emergency came up and I, I can't sell anymore. I can't move. And even though we had a firm agreement with them, we, we let them out of the contract. So that's a type of situation. And the other type is maybe we overpaid for the property or, or our buyers just aren't interested enough. We do have certain properties. Like we just bought one in uh uh, in Lakeshore, Ontario, near Windsor, on Crystal Beach Road, kind of a cottage property, but in really rough shape, at a very low price, and we didn't have a lot of interest in it. So we're just going to close on that one ourselves because we did get it at a big enough discount to wholesale. Close on it ourselves, relist it on the MLS, and make our spread. So if it's a big enough discount and we don't have a lot of buyers, we'll just close on it. If it's a bit of a discount, but not enough for us to be comfortable that we're going to have that safety margin, then and no one's interested in it, then we would we would go back to the seller, try to renegotiate to lower the price. And if not, back out of it because we do have them conditional most of the time. Well, conditional on inspection, financing, or finding a buyer. Like what conditions do you put in there so that gives you a, a buyout option or a, like a way out? Yeah, we put one condition in there called partner approval. So conditional for five or 10 or whatever business days, conditional on our partner approving the property. 
and it gives us a lot of flexibility because that can mean a lot of things. I prefer doing partner approval rather than having three or four different conditions because let's say we find out there's something wrong with the zoning. Okay, well, my partner doesn't approve of it because of the zone. We can't get the financing for some reason. You always can with the privates, but for some reason you can't get it. Well, my partner didn't approve it because of the financing. So it gives you an out on everything. Okay, awesome. All right, good. What's next for you, Wick? What's your, your next plan, your next goal? I mean, you've grown so quickly, so fast. What's next? We're not done growing. We have a few more hiring. I'm very lucky with my, my sales manager. It has a lot of experience with hiring. So that's helped me a lot because I know where I want to bring the company and the direction we're going. So we're going to be opening in a few new markets. Don't know which ones yet, but we're working on that. And um, yeah, for me, it's scaling up the business to a certain size that justifies being able to hire enough people to get me out of the day-to-day of the business. That's kind of what I'm working towards. I'm actually working towards financial freedom through business ownership rather than just passive cash flow. So I need to attain kind of a, a critical mass where there's enough, uh, enough size, enough employees, enough people wearing all of the different hats of the company so that I don't have to wear all of the remaining ones anymore. So that's what I'm working towards. Actually, that was a question I was going to ask you is how much time are you, you, Luke, putting in to this right now? A lot. Uh, <laughs> I work. I don't typically work weekends other than a few phone calls here and there. I do like to spend time with my wife whenever I can. Uh, but otherwise, I mean, I'm, I'm at the office late every day. It's growth time for us, and it's really the time where I want to put it. I have to put in the time as I'm training everyone. I have grown a lot recently. My sales manager was hired four months ago. We've hired five people since then. So... I'm still kind of training him. He catches on very quickly. I'm still training him and he's still helping me train the other people. And it's, uh, it's a very busy time for us and we're planning on doing more. I plan on being in two new markets by October, right now being August. So two months, I have to open in two new markets. It's a lot of new hires, a lot of new marketing, a lot of building buyers lists, and it's going to be a crunch time. But I hope maybe a year from now, year and a half, I can slow down and pass off most of the hats to more into other people in the company. Well, good for you. And yeah, yeah, that's a lot of growth. I mean, growth is people who've never gone through it sometimes don't realize just how much work it is to grow something like that. Like, that's a real, that's a real business. And yeah, you're right. You you are the person it's coming out of your head. It's coming, it's your ideas and, and to train people up and to get them to do what you want so that you can step back. That's a, it's a big goal. It's a great goal. And I, I can see you in a year and a half or so, just saying, oh, that's great. Uh, and, and it's not like you're not going to be involved. It's just not so much. <laughs> Unless you totally want to get out and who knows, maybe you want to sell it. <laughs> yeah, I think wholesaling would be a hard business to sell, but any business run well enough with the right systems is probably saleable. Very cool. So, okay. So I guess we are at the part of our podcast, which uh, is our famous lightning round. So Laurel and I will take turns asking you four questions and Luke, give us the first answer that comes to mind. Are you ready? I am ready. I think. All right. It's now time for the lightning round. This week's lightning round is brought to you by Daniel St. John. Do you think using other people's money is a strategy for other people? Not you? At Safe and Sound Real Estate Investment Group, Daniel's been teaching people just like you how to use other people's money for almost 10 years. To find out more, go to www.sasrig.com. That's www.sasreig.com. And download your free copy of the special report, Arms Length RSP Mortgages, Canada's Best Kept Investment Secret. You'll be amazed at how you can leverage other people's money to help you finance as many real estate deals as you want. 
question number one, what is the best advice that you have ever received from another investor or at a networking event? I think the best advice I've gotten is that there's always another way. You can always find a solution to it. Actually, Alfonso says this quite often. You can have results or you can have excuses, but you can't have both. And that's something that, that I kind of take to heart because um, it's something I kind of live by. It's really hard to find out how to wholesale in Canada. So I had to get through a lot of roadblocks to do this. So yeah, definitely that you can, you can get, you need to find a different way to get through things. You can have results or you can have excuses, but it's not going to work if you just have excuses. Good answer. I like that. So question number two, what is your favorite real estate investing resource? It can be anything. My favorite is probably the right club in terms of I've learned the most probably from bigger pockets, listening to podcasts. That's really helped me a lot, especially when I was going to see all the properties, I was in the car a lot. So I listened to a lot of podcasts and learned a lot of what people are doing in the States that, you know, can be try to figure out how to bring that to Canada. But my actual favorite is going to the right club because at this point, so many of the people there, I consider friends. I know I can reach out to if I have any questions and also enjoy spending time with. So in terms of favorite, in terms of enjoyment, it's definitely going up to the right club meetings. It's like 200 people there and I feel very comfortable in the room with so many familiar faces. And just curious, have you had a lot of business with uh, the members there? Yeah, I think I've sold several properties, whether I knew them from there or previously. There's definitely people I met at the right club, joined my buyers list. They joined my buyers list at the right club and they bought houses from me. Definitely have done a good amount of business with people from there. Very cool. Awesome. Question number three, Luke, what is the one attribute that has made you most successful? I think it's just not taking no for an answer. It's persistence and it's doing it. I don't know if that's an attribute, but it, it, it's just not taking no for an answer means that, you know, oh, well, you can't wholesale. Can I, I hear so the most dangerous advice you, you hear from people is people who sound like they know what they're talking about. Oh, well, you know, you can't flip houses anymore. It's not the market for that anymore. It is always the market to flip houses if you buy it at cheap enough. The prices could be falling for houses. If you bought it at enough of a discount, you can still do it. So people always give you advice. And some people give you dangerous advice because it sounds like they, they know what they're talking about. Oh, well, you know, you shouldn't buy rentals because it's too hard with the residential tenancies act. Lots of landlords are still making a lot of money. So there's always a way you have to be persistent and um, just don't listen to the naysayers. They're not necessarily naysayers. They believe it. They're not trying to hurt you, but people have limited, I, I would say mentality about it. There's, they always believe the first option that says, you know, you can't do it instead of figuring out how to do it. So that persistence gets you the how to, you figure it out, you move on. And that's how I've been able to figure out wholesaling. Probably, like you said, I'm probably the largest wholesaler in Canada at the moment because I've managed to figure it out in Canada where others stopped because it was too hard because you couldn't buy lists, etc. Our final question then, it's Sunday morning, any Sunday morning, what is Luke going to be doing? Sunday morning, I'm spending time with my wife. That's, that's what my weekends are, whether we brunch together um, or often go see a rental or something because my wife helps with all of our rental properties. She's a lawyer by day and manages the Airbnbs and rental properties. So we do spend a lot of time on our weekends, but yeah, brunching, sleeping in a little late and no matter what it is I'm doing, I'm doing it with her. That's uh, we get to spend our weekends together right now. While this podcast, she actually is uh, she's out because she's, has a friend's wedding in September and she has to go get a sari measured and made to her size uh, 
for that. But uh, otherwise, we spend our Sundays together. Cool. That's awesome. That's really cool. Luke, where can our Right Club Nation reach out or find you if they wanted to know more? Definitely can email me, um, L-U-C-B, Luke B, at cashhousebuyer.ca. If someone wants to get on my buyer's list, they can email Casey, K-A-C-Y, at cashhousebuyer.ca. Or they can get go on you know, listrealtyinvestors.com slash buyers or ottawahousebuyer.ca slash investors if they want to join the respective buyers list for the GTA and for Ottawa. Awesome. And any final last words of advice for the Right Club Nation? My last words of advice is what I was saying earlier. Just be persistent. And if people tell you something can't be done, start asking why and start trying to figure out if there's a way you can get around that. People who solve problems make the most money. It's that simple. There you go. You have it. Thank you, Luke, for being on the show. Really, you have so much insight, so much knowledge. You are the most successful wholesaler I personally know for Canada. And, uh, you know, just keep rocking it out there. It is awesome to see you and, and all of the stuff that you've accomplished so far. And thank you for being on the show. Yeah, thanks. Luke. I learned a lot. And I think everyone listening is going to learn a lot too. Really, really good. Thank you. Thank you, Laura. All right. Take care. So Sarah, I don't know about you, but wow, <laughs> Luke just blows me away every single time. He's so smart. And, but you know what? You can be smart and, and still not do anything. It's, it's his persistence, his consistency over time that is so important that has gotten him to where he is. And you know, he talks about the wholesaling and the wholetailing. And just the fact that he's hired all these people, that just blew me away. Like he's got a really big organization now and it's getting bigger. But did you notice what his goal is? His main goal? What is that, Laurel? It is to back off. To yes. be able to <laughs> have a <laughs> life. <laughs> Which is, you know, what I think why most people in real estate get into this at some point. We all go, okay, this is fun. This is great. Or we're, we're making money or not, as the case may be, because we don't always make money. But we're doing it for our why, right? We want to enjoy our lives, however you define that. You want to spend more time with your, your family. You want to travel. You want to go back to school. Whatever it is. It's, so it's really cool to see uh, Luke setting things up so that he can have more time to do what he wants to do. Yeah. No, that, that is amazing. I mean... And even just to relate that back to what we're doing, I mean, that's why we're hiring people for our Right Club Nation, people that are going to work and help us take some of that work off our shoulders a little bit so that we can work on the business and oversee it rather than in the business. Yeah. It's great to see that that's what he's working on. And he's like, he's just a machine. Like he just goes and goes and goes and hires and finds the right people to do the right things. And, and I mean, and I think he mentioned it too, it's persistence, right? Figuring out what you need to do and just going ahead and doing it and being persistent and not stopping. And, you know, it's yeah. great to see that he's accomplished so much. So, so quickly, I can't even wait to like look at the next five years, you know, fast forward five years, like I, he, this guy is going to <laughs> maybe be across all Canada, who knows, with this team and be able to, you know, take a high view and, uh, and delegate. And so we are super proud of him. I'm uh, excited to be able to call him a, a good friend of mine, him and Jess, and uh, so excited for his success. Yeah, it's too bad we didn't have more time because seriously, I could have talked to him for hours, right? And there's so many stories in there. You could just get a glimpse of a story here and a story there. And it would be really cool too to talk to him about, maybe it's another podcast, who knows, right? I'm sure that 
there's many things that have gone wrong and it would be really kind of neat to talk to him about all the things that went wrong, but he still kept going. So what did he do when it went wrong? And you know, what were, what were the lessons learned? How, how did he apply what he learned to the next deal or the next 10 deals or 25 or whatever it is? Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's great to, to see different strategies. It's great to hear about different strategies. I think at some point he's going to come back on stage and speak at the right club as well. Like he's already spoken and, and provided some great, great content and information. So guys, speaking of right club, if you haven't been out yet, come out to our club and send us an email if it's your very first time and we will get you a complimentary pass on your first time. And uh, all of the calendar information, the schedules are on our website, therightclub.com. So if you want to check out when the next meeting is or the next webinar that we're having with our online community or when the next podcast is coming out or all of that stuff, take a look at the calendar section. And guys, if you enjoyed this podcast, if you could leave a rating and a review, that would be amazing as well. And so we thank you guys that have already done it. And uh, we love hearing from you. So send us an email if you have any questions or if there's a topic that you would like to learn about or hear from or a person you'd like to hear from, Sarah at therightclub.com or Laurel at therightclub.com. Any final words of advice, Laurel? No, it's just, well, the only thing I can say is keep listening <laughs> and keep letting us know that you're enjoying it and send in those questions for us because we do take them. We, we look at all the, the emails we get and we, we act on them and they give us lots of ideas. So please contact us. Absolutely, guys. Right Club Nation, this is your club and we are excited to be helping and facilitating. But at the end of the day, this is your club and we want to help you grow. So come grow with us, guys, and see you next week. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Right Club Podcast and joining our community of real estate investors online at therightclub.com, where the focus is about helping you grow. We look forward to seeing you again next week. Thanks from your hosts, Sarah Larby and Alfonso Salemi.